So my coming back gave me a purpose in life that I never had before. Because being on the other side, at first I didn't want to come back, but being on the other side, I felt so powerful and so liberated and so free and so loved. But I knew that what I was about to do next was very much needed here and therefore it would be best if I came back. But when I crossed over, what I learned was religion is human created. And religion was created here to help people to understand the other side, but has been created by different cultures in different regions of the world, in different languages. So there's a lot of room for a lot of misinterpretation. You have had multiple lives. When we're on the other side, because time is not linear, you see all the lives simultaneously. You've had multiple lives, and this particular life is one of multiple lives that fits into this tapestry, this whole of the collective of all your lives. And you chose these circumstances because in some way, it serves the evolution of you as a whole. Anita Morjani, welcome on the show. What are you most excited about right now in your life? In my life, what I'm most excited about, oh God, there's so many things, it's hard to narrow it down. Um, every day feels like it brings new opportunities. Um, I'm just excited about continuing to share my message in whatever way I can because I just want to impact people and just help make the world a kinder, nicer place. And it, I just love doing that and it excites me to do that. And, and I like to bring joy to people because I have to be in a space of joy myself to do that. I love that so much. And diving right into it, in February 2006, you died. Yeah. And you are a master at choice because I think the biggest choice that we will ever receive in our life is, do you want to stay or do you want to exit this realm? And you are given that choice. And it's beautiful because learning your story has truly empowered me to realize the potential and the infinite potentials we have through our own choice. You were on the other side and you were basically given the choice of should I receive a message from my test results that are going to say death due to organ failure or are my test results going to say organs are functioning again? And just as that little choice shifted a timeline, you came back, of course, obviously. Um, I wanted to ask you right now, it almost seems like we're at a precipice of a collective choice that humanity is really at this precipice of an awakening moment where we could either go one direction or the other. I would love to hear your perspective on the collective choice that humanity is facing right now um, into this new phase that, that we're heading into. Um, so my perspective is that in, in, in fact, it's been somewhat heartening to see the number of people who are becoming more aware and awake that they have choices, that they can actually create a different life, a better life. 
And it's heartening to see young people like yourself determined to be out there in the, in the front lines and talk about these things because um, the reason I came back is because it felt as though, and this is what it felt like to me, it felt as though the world needed my message and I had to come back and share it. So my coming back gave me a purpose in life that I never had before because being on the other side, at first I didn't want to come back, but being on the other side, I felt so powerful and so liberated and so free and so loved. It's like, and my body here, my physical body was suffering and dying and it was ridden with cancer cells. Who would want to come back into such a body? But I realized that knowing what I now know from being there and understanding who I really am and the power I have within me, that if I chose to come back, I would have a very important mission. And I didn't know how it was going to unfold or how to go about doing it. But I knew that what I was about to do next was very much needed here. And therefore, it would be best if I came back. So it felt like I was pushed mm -hmm. or encouraged to come back for that reason. And I knew that knowing, again, knowing what I knew now, that my body would heal very, very quickly. So what I'm mm -hmm. feeling about this precipice that we're on right now is that it's really heartening because recently I've noticed an opening where more and more people are so open and ready for my message. Not only are they open and ready, they're hungry for it. When I first came back, back then in 2006, people were not that open. It was very, very challenging, very challenging. But it's changed over the years. I, In the beginning, there were more people that were trying to take away the gift that I received, the gift of healing, the gift of that experience. People who were debunking debunking it and knocking me. There was a lot more of that. People who wanted to call me a fraud. Today, it's the opposite. And that's very heartening. Mm -hmm. And you even mentioned one of the lessons that your mentor, Wayne Dyer, told you around that, that when your message gets broader, the more the skeptics will come in. And that just means you're breaking into sort of a new dimension of Yes. Of awakening for people. Uh, how do you see that um, in the sense of what are those messages that are no longer receiving that sort of feedback? And what are people more open to right now? What exactly is that? People are more open to the fact that there is more than just this physical realm and that there is there are other ways to heal terminal so-called terminal illnesses. People are not treating... Um, for want of a better way of saying it, like medical doctors as gods anymore, as they did back when I went through this. They used to treat anybody in a white coat as gods, and people would just sit back and take all the pharmaceuticals that, <clears throat> excuse me, that they were given. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. There are a lot of occasions when we do need to see a doctor and we do need to take pharmaceuticals. But in the era that I grew up in and when I dealt with cancer, it was literally taboo not to, if you did not follow a doctor's orders, and if you felt you had a different or better way of doing things, you were um, 
you were chastised, laughed at, or told that you were crazy, that you're going to die. Like it was, it was really bad, really bad. So that's mm-hmm. the biggest change I'm seeing because, because the, there's a lot more opposition against that way of thinking today. Just as much as there were debunkers then against anybody who did anything outside of mainstream medicine and, and, and taking pharma, um, Today, there are as many people on the other side of the camp advocating for the other side. Mm, and that's tipping point. the tipping point. And that's what's made it easier. It's still not mainstream to do anything outside of big pharma and, and the big me- medical um, model. But, but it's a, a lot easier and it's a lot easier to talk about it today than it was then. Mm. And when you were first diagnosed with lymphoma, you also, even back then, you were already rebelling against those mainstream ideas, just as you did with your family's cultural beliefs, your father's beliefs. <laughs> so you went, uh, you went to India, um, and you were doing Ayurveda. You were doing naturopathic healing, even from that time. And a lot of people alone heal from these modalities yes. um, just by themselves. And for some reason, the cancer got worse after. For a little while, it got better, and then it got worse. And I, was, I wanted to ask you, there was something there to do with the emotion of fear yes. that didn't allow for you know, the natural way of healing to take place. And what have you learned about fear? What, what can we learn about fear from you? So I learned that fear is actually the greater illness or the greater... Um, the greater problem we face in our world, more so than physical illness. For me, um, I really realized that the fear of cancer was worse than the cancer itself. And so when, when I was doing the Ayurveda, I was in an environment where everybody believed in this way of doing things. And so I was told, this is the way you balance your body. And when your body is balanced, there's no room for illness. And as I was being told and I was being taught and I was being taught yoga moves and I was changing my diet and I was doing different things. I was taking Ayurvedic um, supplements, herbal remedies, and I saw my body healing and getting stronger and, and the lymph nodes, the swellings going down. I saw all that happening before my very eyes over the weeks and months. And then uh, and so I was in India, and but we lived in Hong Kong at that time. And at some point, I had to go back home to Hong Kong because that's where my husband lived, although he was coming out to visit me in India uh, regularly. But his work was in Hong Kong, and my dog was in Hong Kong. Our home was in Hong Kong. So I had to fly back to Hong Kong to go home. And I thought, okay, I've got this now. I know, I know how to live my life, and I... I um, purchased all the um, Ayurvedic remedies that I knew I would need. I would get up in the morning even when I was back home and get up and do my yoga postures. And I changed my diet accordingly and even back home in Hong Kong. But this is what I didn't count on. I didn't count on being in what I call a different marinade. One marinade I was in in India supported that way of thinking. It's the group mm. mind. It's the hive thinking. It supported it. Mm. Everybody was encouraging me. It's the environment. It's what we're mm. immersed in. When I was in Hong Kong, 
it was very different. All the people around me were like, so what did you do? Oh my God, you did Ayurveda. That's crazy. That's not real medicine. Did you see an actual doctor? Did you get the scans done? You're going to die if you don't do this. You're not being realistic. It's all that mind stuff that goes into mm. your mind. Very different marinade. Um, and so I don't know why I call it a marinade, but yes, very different culture, very different environment. And then it started to creep on me. What if it, what if it was all crazy making stuff? What if it was my imagination? What if the cancer really is growing? What if, and it's all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. <clears throat> and so then in that fear, I started to notice that my body started to deteriorate. And then I go to the doctor and sure enough, they dig around and find something. And then I fell into that whole paradigm where I was, I was in so much fear. And I'll tell you, it was a bigger fear than if someone just went to the Western medical model first and the doctor said, okay, we got this. Let's do the chemo. Let's do For me, it was being proven wrong about, you know, I didn't realize at the time it's because you're now being brainwashed and it's your mind that's doing this. I didn't realize that. Mm. For me, it was like, oh my God, they were right. The Ayurveda didn't work. I'm wrong. Um, cancer, so cancer is a death sentence. I watch chemo kill two people. It's going to do that to me. It was a really huge fear and that fear continued to surmount and to really kill me. Mm. And at the end of the day, there's almost two versions and you call it we're, we're either in three worlds. We're either in the soul world, the soul realm. Yes. We're in the fear realm or we're in this realm where fear doesn't exist. Yes. So how do you differentiate between those three realms that we could be in at a time? Okay. So one realm is immersed in this physical thinking. There's nothing more than this physical and being driven by fear. Um, this is, if you are somebody that doesn't believe in the other realm and you're someone that depends on, uh, pharmaceuticals and you watch TV all the time and you watch mainstream media, mainstream news who are constantly feeding us fear all the time. Um, because what happens is when all your messages are fear-based messages and, um, you live in what I call the fear realm. And let me break this down a little further. So for example, instead of thinking in terms of my body is a temple, I'm going to keep it healthy. We instead, what we do is we think in terms of um, when I'm sick, I go and get drugs. I go to the doctor so the doctor can tell me what's wrong with me and give me drugs. It's never about I love my life. So I want to stay healthy so I can live long. No, it's like you go to the doctor to to eradicate illness, you don't do a wellness protocol, you actually do an illness protocol. Um, mm. And so that's one thing. The other thing is, like when we go after jobs and things like that, do we take the work that makes us feel passionate, that we're passionate mm. about, that we feel will um, enhance us, or do we take the work that we, uh, because we think, oh, a better job won't come along. I'm, I'm afraid of not having the money. Lack. Lack. Mm -hmm. So it's from scarcity. We take the job from a place of scarcity. We go to the doctor from a place of fear of ill health instead of a love or a, um, a respect of good health. 
And this is the thing, our whole medical paradigm is based on a fear of dying, a fear of ill health. We watch TV, we watch the news, and all we get is bad news. And when we're told, say as an example, when you're told you have to fear this thing that's going to happen next, whatever it is, this thing is going to happen next. And everybody is being told this is going to happen. This is going to happen. You're going to get this disease. You're going to get this disease. And everybody's being told that. What that does is that fear itself breaks down your immune system and you're more likely to get the disease. So in other words, what they're warning you against, that feeding of fear is actually contributing towards manifesting it. So it's doing the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, our healthcare system is actually a sickness scare system. It's not actually a healthcare. It makes you fear illness instead of teaching you how to expand wellness. So basically what I'm trying to say is we live in this fear-based world. So that's one world. Then there is this other world that I visited when I crossed over. And that is a very different world, a very, very different world. It's one of pure love. Fear doesn't exist. You realize that, oh my gosh, I'm not supposed to live this life of fear. Um, mm. I, can, I can live in a world that's kinder and more loving and, and all of these things. Because what does fear do? Fear puts people into survival mode. And when they're in survival mode, they're less kind. They're, they have less time for other people. They're more, um, they're more greedy because they're hoarding because they're in survival. So it brings out the worst in us. Fear brings out the worst in us if you're in it perpetually because you're in fight or flight all the time. So mm. when I was on the other side, I realized we're not supposed to be in this fear-based mode all the time. That's not why we came here. That's the message I want people to really know. And so I come here and share my message for that reason. But the real way that I learned to live is what I call having one foot on each side. And that's the third yeah. way. We can't be here in the physical and be completely immersed there because you have a physical body. Over there, you don't. You have to take care of your physical body. You have relationships with people. Over there, it's very different. When you're all spiritual beings, you, are all, um, you all know what each other are thinking without having to speak it. Um, you don't have mm -hmm. to worry about relationships and falling out with people. That doesn't happen. That happens here. So you cannot be fully immersed in spirituality when you're here. You have to live in the real world. You do have to work. You do have to pay your bills. You do have to eat food. But at the same time, you don't have to live in perpetual fear. You need to know that you can connect with that world you can connect with your own soul and your soul knows the life that you came here to live. Your soul knows your intention. Your soul knows um, why you chose to come here. Why did you choose to come here in this space and time and be born to the people that you're born with and be living in this society? Your soul knows that. You can tap into mm. your soul and find that out. And the information you get from your soul is much deeper and much more uplifting than anything you'll get on mainstream media. <laughs> Sorry, was that was a lot. That was a lot. No, I love it. And what's really interesting 
I'll give you an example. We we had a conversation with Dr. Evan Alexander, um, oh, a good I friend love him. of yours, yeah. and he was basically describing in a moment in our conversation where when you're in that realm and but you're basically drinking all that infinite consciousness into your into your soul, into your energy field, and you come back, it's almost like you come online with new abilities, uh, new psychic potentials. And you've even described, for example, that you have been way more intuitive, way more empathic since the experience. You're more aware of being surrounded by loving beings around you. Um, for Dr. Evan, it was, he said that, for example, with technology, it sometimes just like goes out of whack. His frequency is, yes. is, is too high. What else has happened um, with you in terms of these new abilities that you've sort of brought with you from from that realm? Um, gosh, so much. Uh, so I've noticed things, wacky things do happen, like lights flicker on and off when they're not supposed oh. to. Um, that happens a lot. And so uh, particularly like if I'm at an event and if I'm talking about Wayne Dyer, lights will flicker on and off. And that tells me he's here and he's saying, I'm here. And it's a pattern, you know. And one time I remember I had this audience and I was talking and then I mentioned Wayne Dyer and the lights flickered on and off. And then I thought, is that you, Wayne? Let me test it out. And I so I continued talking about Wayne to the audience and the lights kept flickering. So I thought, let me stop talking about Wayne for a bit. So I stopped, I moved to another subject and the lights stopped flickering. And then later in another segment, a couple of hours later, I started talking about Wayne again and the lights started flickering again. And the audience were laughing by this point. They were like, yep, he's definitely here. He, he wants you to know he's here. Mm. So I get wow. things transpiring, especially when I'm at speaking events because he was my mentor at speaking events. And so he shows up for me in the weirdest ways at speaking events. Mm. And it's, it's beautiful because I told you about a synchronicity that came along um, with you, with your book. Um, someone who has been a big part of my own spiritual journey has been my mom. And we were living in California about, I want to say, eight, nine, ten years ago uh, in Huntington Beach. And my mom started going on her own spiritual awakening. And when I told her that I was going to do this uh, show with you today... She's like, wow, I was there in Pasadena at the Wayne Dyer event when he called Anita up on stage. Oh, my God. And it was the first time you were speaking in front of 3,000 people. Yes. So it was just like, what? Like, that's a huge connection right there. Um, and I want to just ask you, staying on that topic of, of Dr. Wayne, what were some of your greatest lessons that, that he landed for you? Oh, there were so many. One of them was to never fear the critics because that means that you have expanded your audience because he said, if you never have a critic, it means you're preaching, basically preaching to the choir. You're only talking to people who are already fans or who already know your work. But the minute you have critics, then you know that your work, your work has gone further and wider. So that was really great advice. That has helped me a lot because, because mm. you cannot be in the public eye without getting critics. Um, for me, that was the biggest one. The other thing he said to me, which I thought was interesting, he said, if you want to be a leader, 
be prepared to have a lot of opposition because even the president of the most powerful country in the world has at least 49% of the public that have voted against them. So he said, remember that, that you will never get much more than half the people on your side. So, um, and so there was a lot of things like that, that he used to just, he was constantly advising me, but what was really beautiful about him was that, um, he was so humble. Like he would tell people things like, if you only read one book, or if you only buy one book at this event, please buy Anita Morjani's book. It's the one book worth reading. And so he would say mm -hmm. and do amazing things like that. And, uh, um, and he would just want everybody to hear my story. The other thing he said to me that really moved me, he said, he said, until the day I die, I'm going to tell as many people as possible about your story. And he did. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what he did wow. until the day he died. Wow. And, and that really brings me to the topic of soul contracts. Um, you even mentioned with your husband, Danny, that there was a soul contract where if you decided to, to leave this realm, then he would come with you. He would follow shortly after. Yes. Yes. And was there, do you believe that, was there a sort of soul contract you made with the people that are now helping you the most spread your message? Someone like Wayne, for example, was there a soul contract that, that was already pre-written before the cancer, before the near-death experience? Like what is going on there? Um, yeah, in a quantum, in a quantum sense. Oh, I 100% believe that. So for sure, like with Danny, 100%, I feel that our purposes are linked, very linked. And I, um, and I wouldn't be able to do what I do without him. And he feels the same way that he wouldn't be doing what he's doing if it wasn't for me. Um, and I definitely feel that with Wayne also, there was a soul contract. And, and the interesting thing about my life is that this whole thing about feeling that these other people have been placed here to help further my message has only happened after the near-death experience. And the, this is another one of the weird synchronicities. It happens to me a lot. Like there mm. are people in my life, like even people in my life today, Wayne has passed. He's definitely a soul contract. Danny is definitely a soul contract. But there are people currently in my life who work with me, who are doing things with me day on a day-to-day -day basis, who I feel wow, I wouldn't have been able to come this far in the work I do if it wasn't for them. And it feels like this is a soul contract because one doesn't come across a person like this easily. I would never have been able to recruit someone like this or interview and find someone like this. It's definitely a soul contract. And so that's something that I'm getting used to feeling. And what's really good about this feeling is that it makes me feel that the universe or my people on the other side are on my side. They're actually having me encounter these people because they want me to succeed. They want me to further my message. I feel extremely supported. That's what it is. Mm, I just felt full body chills uh, as you just said that. And a question that was coming up while you were explaining that is, can we have soul contracts with 
everyone that we meet because that'd be like that's a lot of signatures right there <laughs> every single person like we're doing a contract um what is that what is that like do you have any insights uh, about that okay so these are my thoughts and again i'm open to people having different um, thoughts around this but my feeling my sense and from my own experiences with people i don't think we have a soul contract with every single person but I also do think that it's possible to, because we have free will, it's possible that we intended a soul contract with somebody here, but it never manifests because we have chosen not to go down that path for whatever reason. So I do believe that we can miss out on some soul contracts. And this is why I like people to be aware of the help that they're getting. So this goes into something else I talk about, which is self-love. So if you, the more you love yourself, the more that you trust that you are worthy and deserving of good things happening to you, you are more likely to miss all the good things and the soul contracts and the beautiful synchronicities when you don't love yourself, when you are criticizing yourself and when you feel you're not deserving, you're not worthy, you're more likely to doubt anything that's, that's beautiful that comes your way. You're like, oh, that was just a coincidence. That was just, you know, it's a, a one-off thing. And you're also um, less open for good things to happen because you feel, who am I for something good to happen? I'm not worthy of this. I'm not deserving. So this is the crux of why mm -hmm. I teach people to love themselves and why I say it's so important. Because the more you love yourself, the more your energy lightens and the more you're able to connect with your own soul, your own intention, and your people, your guides on the other side. Mm. And you mentioned that we might sometimes miss out on one of those contracts but i think in most people's case some of the contracts that we can't escape or that we can't miss are our direct family members yes and you had an insight while you were on the other side of what was the role that everyone in your family was playing in the grand scheme of things so how can people begin to shift their perspective around um, the contracts that they made with their closest family members their sister their parents their grandparents and because I know those are probably the toughest ones for some people. Um, how can we begin to, shift, begin to shift our perspective around those? So we have to realize that at some level before coming here, we did choose to come into these circumstances. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we actually chose our situation, our circumstances, because these circumstances served the best springboard for who we wanted to evolve into. Every soul actually wants to evolve. And because we want to evolve, we choose what will serve our evolution. So even if you've come into an abusive family, an abusive situation, you chose that because you wanted to use that as a springboard to see if you could actually handle it and take things in a particular direction. You may or may not succeed in it, but that is what you wanted to do. You came here wanting to overcome certain things, wanting to overcome certain obstacles 
that you may have faced in another lifetime. And so the way to reconcile it is to know that you have had multiple lives. When we're on the other side, because time is not linear, you see all the lives simultaneously. You've had multiple lives and this particular life is one of multiple lives that fits into this tapestry, this whole of the collective of all your lives. And you chose these circumstances because in some way it serves the evolution of you as a whole, the whole of all the lives together. Mm. And why do we, why are we gifted this ability? Or I don't know if a lot of people may not see it as a gift, but free will. Um, in, in this human form, why are we given free will to choose if we want to fulfill that purpose, that destiny, or, or not, or go down a different path? Because, so this is what I feel. If I wasn't given free will and everything was just predestined, I wouldn't have had the incentive to actually come here. It's almost like knowing the outcome of a game you know, or having all the moves already laid out for you. Like if you're about to play chess and every move is already laid out and you know the end result, there's no challenge, there's no incentive, there's no excitement in actually playing the game. But in this case, what it feels like before coming into life, and this was like before coming back, it felt like, oh, wow, I get it now. Let me see if I can apply it here. It's kind of like that. It's like, you're almost like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that this is going to work, but I sure want to try. I want to see if it can work. So our soul comes with this intention of what it wants to do. Um, but it has free will as to how far it wants to do it. We might come with this intention of really big dreams and, and wanting to, um, create something huge, like maybe masses of, hospitals and things for people and do things for poor people. You know, you might come in with all these intentions, but when you come into this world, you're faced with opposition and maybe you're faced with um, skeptics or you're, you're faced with people who um, take you for a ride, like take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. And then at that point you think, oh man, my dreams are not realistic. And you don't, you don't remember that you intended that from the other side but you start to shrink, your, your energy becomes smaller because you start to feel tired and you're like, all I'm doing is fighting all these skeptics. I kind of felt like that shortly after I came back. So I know mm -hmm. how that can go. But then divine intervention, Wayne came in and I hit an, another level that opened me up again. Just as your soul chose to incarnate let's say back into this reality, into this time in humanity, into this species or planet, there's probably millions and billions of others. Um, right now, there's something really magical, I think, going on on Earth right now. And I was curious to know if you had any insights, um, even after maybe the, the, the near-death experience or during, of the souls that gathered now, in this time, in, in this moment of humanity, we're in 2023 right now. Why now? Why did we choose this moment? Why did we choose to be human beings uh, right now? Okay, so I'm going to be really honest here. So I think there are a lot of beautiful, empathic young people being born into the world now, like you, 
a lot. There's more empaths now, I think, than I have ever seen before. Mm. There, you know, there are a lot more young empaths than there are older empaths. And I believe, and this is where I want to be honest, I believe that if you guys didn't come, we would be at the brink of our own extinction. We're killing ourselves. And we need wow. a strong, I'm sorry, that's so direct. Yeah, but yeah. Um, when you think about it, again, just to be blunt and direct, if you look at all the leaderships of the past, all the leaderships of every nation, every huge powerful nation, they all spend all their resources in developing weapons and they spend way more money in killing each other than in feeding each other. And when, and when you use all your resources in that, and then, and then we get told there isn't enough to go around. Of course there's enough to go around. It's just not being used in the right places. And so now we have a generation of people who actually want a kinder wo world. I want a kinder world. And in order to make a kinder world, we have to be the kinder world. And that's why more and more empaths are coming in because they have a gentler soul. They have mm. a different, it's a different paradigm. There isn't the same gender inequality that I faced when I was growing up where the, where the energies were the very young energies, the very masculine energies that were dominant and took the world in a particular direction. And the more feminine energies were made to feel inferior, very inferior. And I don't see that happening anymore. <clears throat> and if it didn't happen, mm. we would have literally made ourselves extinct. Mm. And is, is this all part of just an unfolding evolution of, of the planet in itself? Or let's say these, these younger, like, let's say younger people, I don't want to say younger souls, <laughs> um, they chose to come in right at this, as you say, this, this, this juncture. sort of pre juncture of, of what's going to happen. We could be destroying ourselves. And what is what are the new paradigms that, that this generation sort of is meant to bring through? And how can we work together with, with other generations as well to, to create that heaven on earth that you talk about? So there's a, that's a great question. I love that question. So there's a lot of things we can do. So first of all, what I'm noticing about the young people, they're more consciously aware. They're more consciously aware of cultural differences, gender differences. So there's much less discrimination, segregation, separation, divisiveness. Um, to me, the divisiveness belongs in the last century, but we still see it thriving in the last three years. We saw so much divisiveness, but it doesn't belong in this century. And this is why I have a lot of confidence in the younger people because they don't buy into that. They really don't. They're very different. Um, and so what I would say in order to work together with the older generation, a lot of people from the past generations are, um, they grew up um, on scarcity and fear. So their biggest fear is having everything ripped out from under them. Where I empathize with them, it's like technology is just speeding up and they can't keep up with it. And many of them are feeling left behind. They're feeling dumb. They're feeling stupid because 
They don't know how to operate technology. And mm. this world has gone in a direction where if you don't understand technology, you're really left behind because everything has become digitized. Everything I'm talking about. Especially now with artificial intelligence yes. and, and learning how to use that and leverage that. Yes. Yeah. So for older people who are not IT savvy, it's very, very scary. And so mm. not all older people are divisive and all the things that we're seeing, but all of that stuff does belong in the last century, but not all the people from the last century are like that. The way to bring them along and the way to work together is for the younger people to create technology that is user-friendly for older people who are not IT savvy. That would really go a long way. It's to actually bring them along with you on this AI ride, IT ride, so they, they're not scared of it. And bring them along. And there are a lot of people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s that are brilliant, that are smart, that are thriving, but maybe just don't think the same way as a 20-something-year-old or a 30-something. Mm -hmm. So we want to... Um, not only not discriminate against different genders, regardless of somebody's gender or somebody's, and not discriminate against any race, regardless of race, but we also want to not have ageism. We don't want to discriminate against age either. We need to be more aware. And just like we have become more aware of people who have physical disabilities and now it's mandatory to have ramps and seating for people with disabilities. It's mandatory for buses and theaters and flights and all to, to um, take care of people with physical dis disabilities. I think it should also be mandatory to not leave out a particular age segment or anybody above a certain age. That should become mandatory too because the more we leave them out, the more that their life loses meaning and the more they look forward to crossing over. And we don't want to do that. We do need to tap into their wisdom. Just like this generation has become really inclusive of people, regardless of what their gender is or what their race is, they've left behind that divisiveness, the racial divisiveness and the gender divisiveness. We need to also leave behind the age divisiveness. We need to leave that behind and we need to to help people that are of an older generation to also come with us on this journey and because what happens is that when they get left out they start to fear that they're getting left behind they're not able to shop online maybe they're not able to phone through to certain companies and organizations because now um, they have to deal with robots and AI and it's intimidating and eventually it makes them feel useless and they leave this world before their time because they start to feel useless whereas we could tap into their wisdom if they were still here. So what I would encourage in order to really unify the world is for the younger people who are empaths to not only um, be inclusive of people of every gender and every race but also every age because not all older people are the type that are being destructive to the planet. There are many older people who, like me, I fall into the older generation as well. 
um, I want to do everything I can to make the world a better place before I die. So we would we welcome bridging that gap with yes. the other empaths who are younger. And there's this notion that I really love, and you mentioned the term older people, and there's another version of that which I like to call elders, because if you go into ancient cultures, uh, the elders were the shamans, the medicine women that would come to the tribe, and they would basically lead these these cultures. Um, they would be, they were the leaders of those tribes. They were those leaders of those ancient civilizations because they had spent a life acquiring wisdom and I love that. people there was a respect i think in many in many instances the younger generations may have sort of lost respect uh for for the older generations because they don't see eye to eye or there hasn't been this collaborative effort to come together and and change the world together so i yes. would love to you know invite people to start tapping into these elders um, that are just dropping wisdom <laughs> as you are doing right now. And I'd love that you use the word elders. That's much more respectful. And so, and I like that. And uh, so my word of using older people was probably less politically correct, but, but I include myself in that group. So, mm. um, yeah, so thank you. And, and yes, absolutely. And, and this is what I would want people of your generation to know that we're actually with you. We see the divisiveness together with you. We see what's happening. Mm. And we want the change as much as you do. Thank you. And I'm really fascinated uh, about near-death experiences. I think that's also a reason why we created this in the first place. Um, there's some sort of patterns that I started to see with people that were in that after physical death state. And one of them is that when you're in that realm, in that energetic soul realm, whatever you put your awareness and attention to immediately manifests into form. Yes. And I'd love for you to unpack that for people because in the same way we do that as well here, but maybe because of the frequency, because of the material um, nature of, of you know what we're made of, it takes a little bit more time or, yes. or less depending on the frequency we're at. But what could you tell us about just how this this creation of manifestation with our awareness comes into form? So what most of us don't realize and what I knew without a doubt from the near-death experience is that we are constantly co-creating our reality and our lives. And most people seem to buy into the belief that... Um, you know, that we're victims of our lives. We get these illnesses, we're victims of the illnesses. We have these jobs, we're victims of poverty, we're victims of this, we're victims of that. You know, we fail in school or we lost the job. And that's how we look at lives, our lives. But what we don't realize is that all of these things that are happening to us, we're actually co-creating it. We are doing something with every moment of our lives, every moment of our life, Every split second, every moment, we are in the process of creating the next moment and the next moment. So when I was on the other side, because there's no physicality, literally whatever thought came to my mind, and I use the word mind loosely because we don't actually have a mind or a body or anything, mm. I was pure awareness. 
But whatever came into my awareness, that would be there in front of me. I would see it. If, for example, um, you're somebody who um, believes in Jesus or Buddha or Krishna, if that comes into your awareness and that's who you expect to see when you die, then that is exactly who will be in front of you in that moment. Um, so, so if I was uh, wanting, if what came into my awareness is my connection with my husband, for example, my husband in this physical life, and but I was there, and immediately, if if my relationship with him comes into my awareness, immediately what I see in front of me are the other lives we've lived together, and then it makes sense why we're together here mm -hmm. and why we're in this situation. So it's manifest instantly. And I realized <clears throat> that we are manifesting here all the time, but because we're in physical, which is a denser energy, and because there are other people involved. And so because there's so many elements mm. involved that the manifestation is much slower. Mm. But let's say again, go back to <clears throat> if all you're doing is thinking about fear-based messages and all you're doing is thinking about eradicating illness, eradicating illness, what you're doing is you're thinking about illness. You're more mm. likely to develop illness. But if all you focus on is how can I expand my wellness? How can I expand my wellness? That's what you'll manifest over time. Mm. And it's the same <clears throat> even the way that people think of money. If you're constantly fearing scarcity and you're fearing poverty, that's what your focus is on. It's on poverty. Um, and that's what you'll end up manifesting. You'll be living a life of just fearing poverty and manifesting poverty. So we have to actually get excited about abundance. That's what I remind people. Get excited about having abundance. What would you do with it? Why do you want it? And the world will support you. Yeah. Excitement is this energy where it's like you're almost expecting, like before Christmas, you're expecting a gift or you're expecting a present. And when we live in excitement, that's why I open up every podcast with what are you most excited about right now in your life? Because it's almost like this energy of being a child again. We're more in that playful energy. You can't be like a very serious adult, you know, very indoctrinated and be super excited about life at the same time. I feel like you merge a little bit of that child energy into whatever, whatever age you are, whatever state you're in, bringing that energy and awareness of excitement. Exactly. You got it a hundred percent. And, you know, I speak a lot about our guides on the other side, um, beings on the other side <clears throat> who uh, help us and who guide us. And when you are in a very dense energy, let's say in a depression, fear, anxiety, and all these kinds of energies, it's, it's much harder to receive the messages and the thoughts from our guidance from the other side because our energy mm. is so dense. But when we are in this excitement, passion, love, that kind of energy, then it's much easier for them to guide us because, because they are up there in this, let's call it high vibration. We're on a much lower vibration, but they drop down to come and guide us. If we raise ourselves, we get much more guidance, much we gotta, more. We got to meet them. We got to meet we them We got to meet them. Exactly. Wow. 
So when you meditate or when you're feeling joy or when you're out in nature, that's when we're meeting them. Mm, mm. Yeah, it's raising that frequency. I, I love that concept. Yes. I had the opportunity to read sort of your initial account of, of your story um, right about six months after your brother was like, hey, check out this website where they put near-death experience reports. Like you should submit it, You're, you should read it. And you decided to submit that story. And it was later then, of course, put into the exceptional accounts of that website. And there was a certain list of questions that you had to fill out. And one of them was, what is your religion now? And you answered liberal. How, you've become much more spiritual since the NDE, but you're not religious as there's no religion on the other side. That's yes. going to trigger some people. So yes, I just want is. to put that ca caveat and really allow <laughs> you to explain how you came to that realization. So first of all, it goes back to my upbringing as well, um, because my parents are Hindu, uh, Indian parents. I grew up in Hong Kong, which is predominantly a Chinese city uh, where most people <clears throat> were Buddhists and Taoists, but um, they put me in a British school for British expatriates, like an international school, but it was a British international school mm. so that I would speak English. Uh, and most, in fact, the and in the school, we had Bible teachings. You had a class every week on Bible teachings because most of the kids were Christians. They were Church of England. They'd all, they were, their parents were all expatriates from the UK. So mm. there I was learning Christianity and we were learning the Bible at school. My parents uh, practiced Hinduism at home and we had deities at home and they had an altar and every Monday they would take me to the temple. And I grew up with a Chinese nanny who looked after me. And she was Chinese and she would speak to me in Cantonese. And she would take me to, um, you know, to like more like Buddhist temples or Kuan Yin temples. And she would take me to see the statue of Kuan Yin. And I would see her praying and lighting incense sticks. Um, and when we would go to the Hindu temple, my parents would pray and light incense sticks. And so I was exposed to all these religions. What I found really interesting though, was that each religion believed that theirs was the only true religion. And as a kid, you're just exposed to all of these and you just grow up thinking, oh, okay, it's like, it's like our nationality. You know, I'm, I'm Indian and they're English and they're whatever. So everybody's got a different nationality. Everybody's got a different ethnicity <clears throat> and they also have a different religion. Mm -hmm. But then I started encountering people who literally would say to me that if I didn't convert to their religion, I would go to hell for all of mm -hmm. eternity. Um, so that was kind of scary and intriguing. And so I said, no, but my parents are Hindu. And so I'm not converting because I already have a religion, just like you have a religion and just like you have a race. So in my kid brain, it was like, why do I have to be what they are? I'm not asking them to be Hindu or Indian or anything. Mm. Um, but as I grew older, I realized that it was a real thing where people fight about which one's the real one. So I never really honestly was totally religious, but it was 
when I crossed over, when I actually crossed over, that I really, so what I did prior to the NDE was I just embraced all religions and I thought, okay, I respect them all. I never want to do anything to disrespect anybody. But when I crossed over, what I learned was religion is human created and religion was created here to help people to understand the other side, but has been created by different cultures in different regions of the world, in different languages. So there's a lot of room for a lot of misinterpretation. And people who actually get to die when we die at the end of our lives, that's when we really experience what's really there. And we realize religion was created by the people for the people. It wasn't created by gods or God or anything like that. Huh. And in that state as well, you were able to see the impact you had on other people's lives. So also talking to Dr. Eben, he mentioned sort of the life review that is very much real in that realm where you experience everything that you did, but from the perspective and the point of view of the person that you that you did that to. So did yeah. you experience something similar or how, how was that for you? For me, it was uh, came in the form of what I call the tapestry, um, where I saw my entire life as a tapestry. Um, and there were all these different threads that were woven to create this beautiful tapestry. And one of those threads was my, was my life. And it showed me where I had touched other lives, like other threads, and where I was yet to touch other lives if I chose to continue to live. And it showed me how I had impacted other lives and how, and what a difference I made to this tapestry. Like if you remove any one person, it changes the whole tapestry. And so you kind of understand, I understood like, oh wow, when I did this here, it impacted these people in this way. And I can see it all in this tapestry and their threads. They then branched out this way because of what I did and went on to impact these people here. So you kind of just yeah. see your entire life before you. And I want to mention again, we were talking about religion. One of the things that I grew up believing was that um, God was a being that was outside of me. And we were taught always to worship a God that's outside of you. But in the death state, I realized that God is not a being but a state of being. God is the collective of all of our consciousness. God is pure consciousness. And we become that pure consciousness when we die. So I just wanted mm. to mention that. And that is where my beliefs around spirituality have changed. I realized that each one of us is a facet and an expression of God. Mm. And the reason we have to love ourselves is because when you love yourself, you are loving a facet of God. And when you don't love yourself, you are denying that facet of God from expressing itself through you. Mm. And one thing I wanted to highlight is like, even after such an impactful and awakening experience that you had, and maybe even some people 
they they don't necessarily have a near death but through their own practice of meditation or through let's say psychedelic medicine they have sort of this new sense that we're all connected that we all are part of that tapestry but even then we still forget it's almost like this is hardwired this forgetfulness this veil of forgetting that we're it's ingrained in part of this human experience you're mentioning that toward the end of 2021 beginning of last year um you went through a burnout and this period of of sort of you know reestablishing again like if how you were giving your energy to other people and it's almost like we we still sometimes forget and and that's okay how how do you view it um now yes so sometimes even our old lessons or patterns come back to us in a different disguise and um so you know when i grew up i grew up in a generation and a culture that had a lot of gender disparity and i grew up to be subservient to be of service to other people and to be of service to the men in my family in my culture and um and i was never encouraged to be to be vocal or to be uh, strong or any of these things and i was basically someone who was a people pleaser and mm. who I was a doormat. Now, of course, when I died, I realized, oh, I came here to play bigger. I'm not supposed to be a people pleaser. My soul came here to shine. I realized all those things. And so I was, so it, of course I healed and then things happened and Wayne discovered my story. Now what happens is that um, if I was just living within my community, um, which felt too small for me when I came back from the NDE. But, but if I was just living within my community, um, I would have been pretty strong. But I was not socialized to be this vocal and this strong and this big in, in the public arena. I was not trained to be. I was not socialized to be. So when you have been a people pleaser your whole life and a doormat your whole life, it's all very well to stand up to your community or to create another community, to move away from your community because you've changed, you've grown, and then you develop another community. That's all very well. But what I wasn't used to was getting a lot of, um, let's say, criticisms from all angles. We're not Mm -hmm. used to being knocked down by people from social media, from mass media, from newspaper interviews, from critics, you know, like Mm. suddenly you're dealing with this on a whole different level. Yeah, as social animals, we can only handle like small communities of, you know, a couple hundred people. Now it's like when your message reaches millions of people around the world, that's a different story. I can imagine how that affected you. It's a different story. And when you're an empath and you're someone who's sensitive, and even with Wayne's message of, oh, it's going far and wide, and you're, you know, you're going into other communities, there's only so much you can handle. Because I have even had um, somebody who said, oh, you're so sure that death is wonderful. Well, I know where you live. Let's see how true that is. You know, basically it was almost like a veiled threat. So, you know, so, so things like that would really, I received that just once that would unnerve me or people doing things like, um, 
wanting to host me for events, but um, not paying me, but saying that, uh, you know, like when they promise you that they'll pay for this and your hotel and blah, blah, blah. And you go there and then they don't pay for anything. And then when you say, hey, wait a minute, um, you, you said you would pay for everything and I'm here. And they say, well, sorry, we can't pay you. And, uh, but since you're here, you should do the event anyway. And if you tell people you're not going to do the event, we're going to say you're not doing it because of the money. And so mm. you're suddenly thrown in the public eye where all kinds of things that are happening to you <clears throat> that you're not trained to deal with, you're not socialized to deal with. And I started to feel, maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe I'm just oversensitive. Maybe I'm just too, yeah, just uh, this, I've grown as big as I am capable of being and I'm done. I was done. And I literally said to my guides, you know, I said, if this is it, this is as far as I can go, give me an exit point. I'm happy mm -hmm. if, if I've put out my books, I've put out yeah. my videos, if I'm done, then I can, I can leave now, I can exit now. Um, but if I'm not, then show me a way through. Mm -hmm. And so I had to kind of let go and do that. And I was shown a way through. Yes, yes. And yeah, yeah and Lee, Lee Harris's guides the Z's, they talk about the exit points. So we have hundreds of exit points that our soul can choose. And I feel yeah. like there's an inner knowing when we don't take the exit points, it's like we still have a mission here so i honor yes. you for continuing um i just wanted to give a, a, a relate to that that you know recently we had an interview with billy carson and we were talking about that the pyramids in egypt are actually just a spiritual technology that we have yet to tap into that we haven't tapped into in hundreds of thousands of years and a lot of people in the government high positions know this and that's why they guard that 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 yes. structure so heavily and i was like i need people to know about this so i edited up a clip of that interview and i put it online and we shared it with billy and i don't know what audience this reached but i was receiving very intense messages like i was receiving just you know it, it gave me a new perspective because I realized that I was in an echo chamber, that everyone that I was following was spiritual, that everyone was talking about light and love and laughter and joy. <laughs> and I was like, like the world's in, you know, we're, we're heading to the new world. This consciousness yes. is too high right now. And then I posted that, and this is a video that right now it's still growing. It's reached hundreds of thousands of views. And the comments are like from all different directions. Like there's some people saying like, I resonate, I love this. And then there's other like even like racist comments like just a lot of different things coming through and i had to kind of take a step back and be like like i know that now even even that teaching that wayne came through that i think i needed to hear that the moment i yes. heard it is that you're reaching new audiences you're gonna get people triggered um and that's okay so i can see where you know now we're in an era where we can reach these hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people, and being okay, like staying aligned with that truth. How do you still yeah. stay aligned with your truth, even though that, even though not everyone's gonna agree with you? I think you have a master's degree in that area. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm receiving so much guidance on that, and that is challenging, and that is what burned me out. And I even did a re, um, an interview recently, and. 
<clears throat> the people who interviewed me were amazing and respectful and and they were just um you know it was a video interview but the thing is the publication or the channel that it was for is um a political channel channel that leans uh, probably heavily to the right so there were a lot of people who without even watching the interview were criticizing me for agreeing to do the interview for that channel but my point is i believe everyone should hear this message if you want to hear the heal the world the bigger problem is the divisiveness and the judgment and saying they're on the right they're on the left they're the... i'm not going to contribute to that i don't judge i just want to share my message and for those who need to hear it the most i'm all the more gung ho about going and sharing it So um that's kind of how I roll and somehow the critics uh, the people that attack me somehow after coming through that burnout last year it doesn't phase me as much anymore I feel more guided now because I went all the way down gave them an opportunity to give me an exit point and because they didn't and they gave me solutions I realize I'm here for a while mm. When so you mentioned I I appreciate yeah. your sharing of what you've been through and you can appreciate that it's not always easy. Yeah, me too. <clears throat> and when you mentioned talking to your guides, how does that look like for you personally? Is this an open channel that you're hearing? Are you receiving images like what does that look yes. like for you and how can people start to open their awareness to bring their guides in like before every interview I bring all of them and I'm like yes. like if you're if you're one of my guides if you were assigned to my soul come we need you. <laughs> yes. Um how I do you how do you, how do you do that? Um So there's lots of ways of doing that and I like either go out in nature, I walk in nature or I listen to music. um or i do movement i like to you know uh, movement actually helps you to shift your energy um or i just sit still and just meditate there's like many ways of doing it and then it just comes to me i set an intention and then um and the intention could be a question that i want answered it could be a solution to something i'm going through and then images just start coming and words just start coming and then i have to trust it and if it tells me to do something if it tells me i have to change my lifestyle in a certain way i have to do it i can't dismiss it because mm-hmm. it'll <clears throat> they'll keep repeating it until i do it and you don't want to have the wake up calls get louder and stronger huh. anita thank you um we end every podcast with rapid fire questions three rapid fire questions that you can answer in any way that you want But for before that I just want you to send people to connect with you. What are your upcoming projects? Where would you send people to learn more about your story and and get impacted by you? Oh wow, thank you. Um I would love for people to visit my website which is just anitamorjani.com and what I and I love to connect with people. I would love for them to check out my social media, follow me on social media and YouTube. and i do a lot of live events which i would of course love people to attend i have a live a cruise event coming up in november where when we're on the ocean we really connect to the other side it's 9 mm-hmm. days and we're going to really do an immersive program of connecting with the other side um i do have an online membership platform as well 
So just check it out. And if nothing else, just read the stuff on my website. There's a lot of content on my website. All the links are in the description. And now for the final trio, the first one, the first two questions are personalized to the guest. The last one we ask in every show. The first one is, what are the key ingredients for creating your own heaven on earth? Great question. Um, the first key ingredient I would say is um, laughter, like lots of laughter. Make sure you laugh every day, laugh at something, mm -hmm. be with people who make you laugh. The other one, the second one is make your choices from a place of love and not from fear. Every time you feel fear, just say, why am I feeling fear? What is it I'm avoiding? What is it I would rather be doing? And then make your choice to do what you'd rather be doing. Mm. And the third ingredient is chocolate. Cho I'm drinking cacao <laughs> right now. So I already got one of those ingredients. <laughs> and now two, I just laughed. <laughs> the second question I have for you is there's a symbol that I keep seeing um, around your name. And I wanted to ask you, what does the infinity sign mean to you? Um, to me, it means that life never ends. Life is eternal. Infinity and eternal to mean to me mean the same thing. And it, it signifies our soul because our soul never dies. Mm -hmm. And it was after the NDE, I never noticed this before, that the OO in my last name could be yes. could be written as an infinity and so that's why on my logo you see the oo is written as infinity and it was um, something that we only realized my husband and i only realized about maybe eight nine ten years ago something like that but it was much after the near-death experience <laughs> i hadn't even noticed that wow um yeah. life is eternal thank you for that yeah. this last question we call it the time capsule question and basically it it invites us to travel a little bit into the future 15 20 30 years down the line and you were given the opportunity with a time capsule and you were given the opportunity to put in whatever you wanted inside this time capsule that would later then be opened by the next generation of leaders. So the young generations of today that we've been talking about 20, 30 years down the line are going to be in leadership positions all over the world. And in this time capsule, you could leave behind anything for the young generations. What would you put in there? Um, take your time with this question because I know it's a deep one. It's a big one. Um, but what would you put in there to allow them to then create this new earth? What tools, what teachings, what would they need um, for the future to create heaven wow. on earth? That is an amazing question and it is deep. It does need some deep thinking. I would love to leave them um, <clears throat> some teachings uh, on a device that they'll be able to play 30 years down the road, some kind of a recording device whether audio, video, or whatever technology um, that would exist at that time. Um, and the teachings that I would want them to encompass is I would want them to know that the most valuable thing that they have on earth is the most valuable things. Number one, I would say, is their well-being. 
Number two is time, the time they have on earth. And number three is relationships, the relationships they have with everyone else. And if at that time they still are dealing with money the way we are now, I would want them to know, don't make money the priority that it has become in this current generation that we're living in, because that is our downfall. Money is important. Don't get me wrong. It's really important to pay the bills. But our downfall has been that we have prioritized money over well-being, over time, and over our relationships. In actuality, money is supposed to serve those three things, but we've done it the wrong way around. We actually, we actually spend our time doing things we hate just to make money, which I would never do that because my time here on this earth is so precious. We destroy relationships because of money, Mm. And we wreck our well-being <clears throat> and get stressed and unwell because we go chasing after money. We stress ourselves out and we don't value our health. And whereas when you die, you realize that in actuality, those three things rank way higher than money. And I would never make that mistake again. And I wouldn't want anyone else to make that mistake. And that's the wisdom I would want every generation to know. Mm, huge codes in there and visualizing this time capsule right before they opened it there's a question on the time capsule that you could leave what would that question that introspective contemplative question be what would you put in that um the question that's a tough one um so the question would be to kind of intro this the content that i just spoke about um, it would be something like, what matters most to you in life? Mm. Anita, thank you so much with an open heart. You were amazing. Um, I really appreciate your message, your journey, which has been a long journey. And I know it was going to continue. You're going to continue impacting millions of lives. And I intend that for you. Um, much love. I would love to do this again. Uh, you're a beautiful soul and blessings. Thank you so much. Oh, so are you. I am beyond touched and moved and impressed by you, Emilio. You are wise beyond your years and I would love to do this with you again too. Thank you, Anita. Thank you.